Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you so much for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. I am your host, Monique Farouk, and I thank you guys so much for letting me be a part of your day. And today I have with me Ms. Nikita Burks Hale, also known as the Journey Coach, is a journeyer in every sense of the word and has dedicated her life and life's work to guiding and supporting women in their journey to live more imperfect, authentic, and intentional lives. When Nikita is not journeying or building the Journey Girl Magic Empire, you can find her on the couch playing 20 Questions with her wife, Jessica, or Mickey Mouse's hot dog dance with her two-year-old son, Adonis. And Nikita also has a podcast called The Journey Girl Magic Pod. And I'm going to have Nikita's website as well as her social media handle on Instagram. And she also has a private Facebook group as well. And so we will get into more of that later. But today, Nikita is going to talk to us about her journey to motherhood with her wife. And she's also here in the U.S. like I am in the southern part of the U.S. in Atlanta. And so, Nikita, can we start with just when you and your wife um, got together and when you guys decided to start um, trying for a little one? Yeah. So first off, thank you for having me as a guest on your show. I have listened to quite a few episodes. I've been following you. And it's just I've wanted to go on for a while and it took me it took me some time to come to this moment of where I felt like I could share, where I had the courage and when I realized that my story as well as other stories are actually needed. So thank you for providing this space and allowing me to be on your podcast for the day. I truly, truly appreciate it. Oh, it's definitely my pleasure. And I understand having to get that time to be able to come on and talk about it. I know how difficult that is. So I appreciate you again. And yeah, so let's start out with you guys' relationship, how you guys met and all that good stuff. Alrighty, so we met in college. Um, I was a couple of years ahead of her. Um, and so we actually did not end up dating until she had graduated. And it was just one of those where we were friends. I was an RA, her girlfriend was one of my residents. And then from there, it just blossomed to a friendship. And then later on down the road, I realized that it was more. So we uh, started dating in 2012 and were married in 2015. And then shortly after, we really started talking about like what what do we want? Like, do we want kids? And we both did want kids and want a family. What would that look like? And so in a same-sex marriage, there's always that question of one of the first questions we got once we were pregnant, like who carried and who's going to carry the next time? And so having to navigate those questions, we had to do that for ourselves first. And so the original plan was for this first pregnancy, I would carry. And then for the next one, she would carry. So we found a doctor. We decided to go to a doctor right off the bat. I didn't even consider trying at home, which is often an option a lot of same-sex couples go to because it's a lot cheaper, definitely. And it's just more, there's no need for a doctor usually. But for some reason, my gut just said, let's just go to a doctor. And so we actually had three failed IUIs over the next two years and could not figure out why. Like we would do the inner uterine insemination and then we get a negative pregnancy test and everything seemed normal and for after the third one then my doctor decided 
that he wanted to do an HSG, which was that for some people it doesn't hurt at all. For some it hurts a lot, which is that process of where they inject the dye and try to flush it through your fallopian tubes just to see if there's any blocks, any buildups. So I realized, or they quickly realized that both of my tubes were blocked beyond repair. I was given basically two options. I could either, now granted there are a lot more options, but either I can adopt or we could go to IVF. And that really just stopped me in my tracks because I had never thought that I would have problems getting pregnant. And so having my wife there at that moment to really lean on and us to have these hard conversations of what do we want to do? What can we afford to do? Really was important for me at that time. And so we decided to go through with IVF and did an entire cycle. It was, and I use this word because the next time around, which I'll talk about later, was not, but it was really easy. It was, I'd heard horror stories of like how the shots hurt and how just all these side effects. And I didn't have any of that through my first IVF process. I was able to take the meds I needed. I was able to add things up. I was excited. I didn't have any, like I wasn't hormonal. The pregnancy, we were lucky enough to get pregnant after our very first fresh transfer. I mean, we gave birth um, in December, 2017. So that entire process was really a joyous one and not a lot of hardships, which is not the case for most people. The thing that surprised me the most was when I was having conversations with others just the questions that I was getting of, like I said, who carried and because my son looks exactly like my wife, like we could have not chosen a better donor. They often assume that she carries or, well, why did you all go through all this? Why not just get a turkey baster and make a baby at home to be Mm -hmm. real blunt. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that opportunity. Most, for most, I would say same sex couples, that is the route they choose. Or if they do have to go similar routes that I went, you don't hear about it, which is just the big taboo about infertility in general. When you add all these additional layers of same-sex relationships or being single or being from a different religious background where just things are not the norm, it makes things a lot more complex. And so having to navigate that of, well, actually, I don't want to say he's my son, but I carried him with my egg. I, Mm -hmm. I went through all the shots and everything. And so... And then talking about, I had no other choice. Like I could not, there was no other option naturally because both of my tubes being blocked. So I could not just have sex with a guy, which was an entire thing that we went through with insurance. It took me almost a year fighting back and forth with insurance because they were dead set on, I had to have, I had to prove that I had had sex with, for a year with a guy and it was not successful. Right. And I'm like, that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's just right. not that's my life or my journey. Element. You know, wow. I never even thought about it like that. Yes. And so it took a year for us just to get insurance to approve it. And I had to go through those three failed cycles before I could even think about getting approved for IVF and getting medical coverage. Because again, things have changed now, but back then two, three or four or five years ago, which isn't that far marriage was just becoming legal a few months after we got married for same-sex couples. And so all of the laws and the medical laws and insurance-based laws, the definition for being infertile or getting approved was you had to prove that you had had unsuccessful sex with a guy for a year. And and I was shocked when I found that out. And I I literally was on the phone with the insurance company saying, no, I am in a same-sex marriage. I do not have attraction towards men. So I cannot meet that criteria. What else can I do? And they literally were like, that's the law. I honestly don't know. 
And so having to navigate that was really an eye-opening experience, but we did. And we ended up having our shirts help cover it and everything. And so, like I said, we were able to have our son. Um, and then our whole new journey started after that, once we decided that we wanted to try to conceive again this past August. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is interesting with the insurance company. And like you said, because it was the beginning of same-sex marriage coming legal, mm-hmm. that that's incredible. Wow, wow, right. wow, wow, wow. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the current state of your journey <laughs> since having your son. So yes. oh, let me ask you this first. I don't want to move, I don't want to jump too far ahead. Let me ask you this first. Did you did you find did you have any anxieties or stressors while you were becoming a new mom and while you were pregnant after going through the whole ordeal with the insurance companies and just infertility as a whole because of your your diagnosis with the tubal blockages and such? Right. And honestly, for me personally, I did not have a lot of those fears at that point. I just knew in my gut that things were going to work out. Mm-hmm. regardless in the way that they were and that's just the the journey or the type of person I am I know everything happens for a reason it may not be easy but I can in my gut I I know things are going to work out and it's just my head getting in sync with my heart and so there was not a lot of there was not a lot of fears for throughout my pregnancy it was a pretty easygoing pregnancy I was going to have give birth at a birthing center and then like the last three weeks my blood pressure just ended up skyrocketing and so the, the last week of my pregnancy was definitely high stress, but I still kept my cool. And it, I don't know why looking back. So I went from a Monday evening going to my last birthing center class to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, having to go back and forth to get my blood pressure checked to telling me on Sunday morning that I was being induced Sunday night, which was actually Christmas Eve, and having to go into the hospital three days of being in labor and then having an emergency C-section when I was completely under anesthesia. So there was a lot that happened in a week, but in my gut, I knew that everything was going to work out. And I say all this because that has not been the case the second time around. And so that's why I want to make sure it's important that I say, I just had this feeling that I knew everything was going to work out and I found comfort in that. And as I get into the second time around, just that feeling has not been there. And it's really thrown me for a loop, just trying to make sense of everything. And I feel like my second whole IVF journey mm-hmm. is what people's first is like. Okay. Okay. So, yes. Yeah. So let's get into the second one. I know it's still very new and if there, you don't have to say anything that you don't want to. And I want to make that very clear so that you're comfortable speaking about it authentically and everything. So when did you guys decide that you were ready to start again? Was it just in the last year? It was. And thank you for that. I mean, just being, and once folks hear the story, they'll realize like, this is fresh as of like just last week, this is fresh, but I'm in a space right now where I feel I can. And then if I do get choked up, that's part of my journey. And if I decide to stop, so be it. But I think it's important for others to hear, not necessarily always on the other side, which is also important, but when you're in it, because it helps others, but then it also helps yourself in that journey and that healing. So we're going to go for it or we'll see how, <laughs> how far I go. It's all um, good. <laughs> but we decided this past August, so August 2019, to actually to try again. We had four embryos total from our first IVF cycle, and they transferred two fresh, and that's how we got my son. And so we had two that were frozen. Okay. We always figured, no, we wanted to 
use those two, just finding the right time when life was supposedly less hectic, when we felt like our son was old enough, just a time that we thought was good. Because it's never a perfect time, regardless. That's just not going to happen. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but we made the decision in August to try again. And so we had some doctor's appointments. And my particular protocol involved three months of birth control. So pretty harmless for most. But I don't know what it was, but it was birth control and then estrogen patches. And every possible side effect you could think of just from birth control and estrogen patches I had right off the bat from the moodiness to the weight gain to the bloating to the vomiting to the nausea to just everything itching to the rashes like I don't know what was going on but right off the bat from just birth control and estrogen patches I was having all the side effects but we continued on and so we were scheduled to have our transfer the very beginning of January, so January 2020. And we did our frozen transfer. They thawed both, only one survived the thaw. And so we were only able to transfer one embryo. And we found out we were pregnant, but it quickly ended in a chemical pregnancy. Um, and that was also around the same time I'd had some other things going on. My, pretty much my stepfather passed away suddenly from complications from the flu. It was when we were first, wow. thank you. It was when we were first starting to hear about this outbreak of COVID-19. And okay. so- it was just a really rough time and a lot happened. And so it, it threw me for a loop, of course, because I was in this place where it was still very early on. Like my first HCG was only a seven. So which is when you take the pregnancy test, um, the blood test, and they want to see like what your levels are to see if you're pregnant. Usually numbers, my first time it was in the 90s. They wanted to at least be 50. Mm -hmm. So my number was seven and they said, that's really low, but we still have hope. Just keep doing your progesterone shots, just stay positive, just take it easy. And so I went back a few days later and it only risen to nine. And so that's basically equivalent to a chemical pregnancy, which is when the embryo stuck, but it just didn't stay. Yeah. So um, having to come to terms with that and really questioning, like, was this actually a miscarriage? Because miscarriages, I felt, usually happened a little bit later, like five, six weeks. And this was really early, like three, four weeks, technically. Mm -hmm. So was it a miscarriage? And knowing that I was the only one that could decide that for myself, and then whatever decision I made answering that question would lead me down some sort of path of, do I grieve this is a miscarriage, so how do I grieve that? Or this isn't a miscarriage, so what do I do from there? And it put me in a really interesting and deep, place of like yeah. I don't know because usually things that are defined the way they are like I could make sense of if I would have had a miscarriage at six weeks because mm -hmm. then it is but this was so early and so that was really my brain was at just a few months ago yeah. um yeah and I can so, see how that's that's conflicting right with the grieving process because like you said there's no definitive title for it right and way to explain it, but it's definitely right. still a loss. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so gratefully, I have a couple of friends who have been in similar situations or have just gone through the IVF journey. So being able to have that space to just talk and say, I don't know, I just need to, I just need to get it out. And maybe me getting it out will help me figure out and answer the question. So, so I don't know if I ever came up with a definite answer, but I came to terms and just like, well, regardless, I know that it was a loss. And so I will grieve that loss and then I will take time and then we'll figure out where we go from there because those are our last two embryos. And so that means that we would have had to do the entire IVF process all over again, the shots and all the doctor appointments and all the blood draws. And so we decided to go forth and do that. And it was really some intense conversations of my wife saying, can you handle this right now? Because 
the birth control and everything threw you for a loop. Can your body handle this? And I wanted to, like, Mm -hmm. I still want to grow our family. And so we made that decision to go forward, but I just had, my brain was just in an entirely different place. Like it wasn't easy. Like the first time I just didn't simply put, I didn't feel like a spring chicken anymore. So having going back and forth to the doctor, I remember them explaining the meds and things to me, like, all right, if you have your Metapure, remember you have to mix the Metapure and do one cc of that and you inject all of that. And then you have your Gano, remember 350 um, milliliters of Gano. And, and mm-hmm. in my brain, I'm just like, how the hell did I do this this first time? Like, yeah, I, like it just seems like a lot this time. But, and I feel like that experience is what a lot of people have for that first time. So I'm grateful for it because it humbled me because I felt like I was in a place of privilege the first time around because I just got it. I just went forward and everything quote unquote worked out. But this time around, it was a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I needed that just to remind me that there's privilege in many different places, many different ways. It shows up in many different ways. And so just being aware, being able to recognize the privileges you have and just increase that I need to remain humble. I need to remember that it's not the same every single time. Yeah, you're um, the first person I've heard say that. That's a very, that's a place of wisdom. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's a place of pure wisdom because not many people would look at it like that, you know? Right, Most right. People in the community wouldn't look at it like that. That's very interesting. Right. Oh, wow. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Really and I, like I said, I'm, I'm just going, I'll go a little bit with more with that. Just realizing that I never had to deal with loss before with my IVF, I was able to get pregnant in the very first trimester. I'm sure I had the IVF, IUIs that weren't successful, but they never even led to a pregnancy because there was no way it could happen. And so just this idea of there's privilege Mm -hmm, (laughs) in mm -hmm. in that, but we decided to go forward with IVF and doing the whole shebang. And that was, my cycle was set to start on March 11th. So we're at March 26th. Like I said, this is real fresh. Um, So we started the shots. And literally had to set alarms, literally had to write down everything mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. my brain just was in a different place. I had all of these fears and leading up to that March 11th date, I just had so much like there was anxiety, there was worry. And then there was just so much bitterness and anger. And I had to figure out why. And what it was for me was I was in this place of it just sucked. Mm-hmm. That was just a theme I had. And what that meant was there's a lot of stuff I could not choose with mm. this IVF process. So for instance, the date of March 11th would have meant that my transfer was supposed to be, I mean, my retrieval was supposed to be March 25th, mm-hmm. AKA yesterday at the time of this recording. But I was, I would have been leaving for a huge conference yesterday. And so me having to decide, do I put my family on hold for work? Do I squeeze it in and stress out to make everything work? But I know I want a family. And so I'm going to make that happen. Or do I cancel all my work stuff? And so right. feeling like I had to choose between a family and work. And then I originally was living in the like Savannah, Bluffton, Beaufort area. Mm-hmm. And so that's where my doctor is. I'm now in Savannah, which is a four hour drive away now. Mm-hmm. And so having to go back and forth. And my mom still lives near my doctor. And for the frozen transfer, I didn't tell her what was going on. We were just coming to visit every once in a while because I hadn't seen her in a while. But this time around, me knowing that I had to tell her that we were going to do IVF yeah. um, because when we did the retrieval and all that, I would have to stay at her house and just take it easy. And so for me, that took away the 
the gift of being able to surprise her that we were doing this again. Like I couldn't just say suddenly, mom, guess what? We're pregnant. Like she's yeah. already knowing we're trying and having to tell my job and my work and like my boss, not being able to surprise people, like just that gift of being able to announce that you're pregnant to the, mm-hmm. the people closest to you and have it be a surprise. I didn't have yeah, so that all those moments. really, yeah. yeah, that was really hitting me hard because I'm like, it's not fair. It's not fair that I can't even surprise my wife and say, honey, guess what? We're pregnant because she has to sign off on the paperwork. And so mm-hmm. I was just in that deep mind space of this isn't fair. Infertility isn't fair. Just going down that whole mm-hmm. route. Um, mm-hmm. And I had to figure that out and sift through all that before I could start for myself. So I was able to find some meaning. I'm like, yeah, it sucks, but it's the way it is. Yeah. You can either accept it and keep going or you can stay stuck here. And so I was able to accept it and move on. And so March 11th, we started, we started our shots and everything. And so we were literally eight days because we were a couple days delayed once they did some checks and everything. So they wanted to wait a few extra days, but we were seven days into my 12 day stems. So we, we were, we were getting bloated. We were getting there. Mm-hmm. I felt the eggs and everything. Yeah. And I got a call just last week, last Wednesday saying because of COVID-19 and because of all of the new guidelines, they had to cancel my cycle, mm-hmm. my IVF cycle. And so that they were like, well, they gave me three choices. They said, we can cancel the cycle. We could do, because the guidelines said that they recommend not doing embryo transfers. Mm-hmm. So they could still do the retrieval, but not transfers. Mm-hmm. So my first choice was to cancel everything. The second choice was to still do the egg retrieval, freeze whatever eggs and embryos they got and transfer at a later time. But my doctor said due to my age and my egg quality, he would not recommend that. And then the third option would have been to just sign saying that you essentially am ignoring the guidelines and just force my doctor to go through everything, mm. which with my morals and my conscience, I just couldn't do. Right, right. So that was another decision I had to make. <laughs> and then just having canceling it. So they're like, okay, so you're going to stop taking your meds. You're going to stop taking your shots. Thankfully, they said, like, you're not going to lose any of your money, any of your deposit. Whenever everything blows over and we're in a much better place and COVID is over, then we'll start again. And so I just had to stop everything. Yeah. And so literally this past week, I've just been coming to terms with that. And like, okay, we're not trying again right now. And when we do, I got to do this all over again. Yeah. And so it's just that idea of this is happening for a reason. And I know there's a bigger lesson than this. And also like, geez, can I catch a break? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's been my world. Because like I said, yesterday was supposed to be when my retrieval was. And that day weighed heavy on me yesterday. But I know that eventually I'll get my chance to try again. Um, and I've had my wife to lean on, thankfully, but that's kind of, kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, it's so sorry to you for the postponed cycles. Right. And, and having to begin again at a later time, whenever the heck that is. Right. You know what I mean? And right. not knowing when all of this is going to be under control where we can mm-hmm. get back to our normal lives. But we, we, unfortunately, we do have a long way to go. Right. with the COVID-19 we do we do mm-hmm. we really 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 do and the state of the economy is not going to help it either right so I feel right. like it's going to affect a lot of things and 
there's going to be all kinds of new ways of living after this yeah. is all over and then having to adjust to that and then being able to say, okay, exactly. Let's go back to the cycling. Let's go exactly. back to the let's, Now let's, let's go back to here yeah. and all the emotions that I put on hold and are they going to come back and how do I work through them? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, but yeah. And I wanted to ask you, uh, have you been thinking about this time as a period of continued healing with the loss you just had a couple months ago? I think it is, whether I'm actively thinking it or whether it's just subconsciously happening, this is a time of healing for me. And so being able to, like I said, even go on this podcast, because the audience may not know, but we were supposed to record back in December. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I, I got sick. My whole family got the flu, the regular flu, influenza A over the course of a weekend. And so just being out of commission and it taking forever to bounce back. Yeah. But maybe it was a blessing because now with everything that has happened since then, this is a chance for me to process and for me to heal. And so that's why I decided to reach back out and do this to see if you were so interested in bringing me on as a guest, because I knew that this would be a part of my healing and a part of me opening up and sharing my story. Because for me personally, when I'm able to help others, it helps me and it helps me make sense of what's going on and to get through it and know that regardless, there's a reason. And if it helps someone, then, then I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm there for it. So. Yeah, see, you guys, I keep telling you guys, you're not alone in this thing. Exactly. You don't have to suffer in silence. And we are here for you. And I think it's more important now than ever, especially with the canceled and postponed cycles. I hate using the word canceled, but I mean, mm-hmm. essentially it is, but it's postponed. Right. Right. You know, everybody's cycles are postponed. And just hearing stories of encouragement of other people mm-hmm. that are surviving, that right. are making it through. And we just doing the best that we all can. And, you know, we got to hang in there just a little while longer. Right, right. Because you often hear about the ones who, like, the story you hear is about the IVF cycles and then they're not successful. But all of these little intricacies of things getting canceled and really getting sick from the meds, especially in communities of color. Like, those are the stories that people go through. And when they do, they're like, I haven't heard anything about this. So I must be, something must be wrong with me. Does this mean I should keep trying? Should I even be a mother? And it just spirals. And so these stories are important. They matter because they happen. Just because you may not hear about them. Trust, they happen. Like you said, you are not alone. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I just, I thank you again for coming on because I know how hard it was. And I, and I was just, it was so funny because you emailed me the other week and it was like, I was just thinking about you. I was like, wow, I wonder how, how Nikita's doing, if she's okay and stuff. Because I didn't realize that you guys were like actively in cycles when we had right. discussed coming on before. Right. And so that was, that was like perfect timing and it was right on time. Mm-hmm. And I knew you would contact me, you know, when you had the chance to, right. when you felt ready to, because talking it out loud like this, people don't realize how difficult it can be. Right. Right. You know, when you're bearing your soul to so many listeners and so many other people in the world and, and feeling like you're going to be judged and, you know, and right. still grieving, you know, you guys are still grieving the loss and having to come to terms with this cycle that's been postponed. So I, I definitely appreciate you so much. And you of guys course. can follow Nikita on her Instagram page at Journey Girl Magic. And then her website is journeygirlmagic.com. And that is where you guys can take a listen to her podcast, which is women empowerment centered. And she also offers coaching services 
for those who want to go into podcasting or those who need coaching in the area of just finding their own voice, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And you guys can connect with Nikita both on her Instagram and her website. And also, please, guys, do check out her podcast. It's really nice. I think you'll enjoy it. And I think you will really find some things that you can use right now being home and having that extra time to really self-evaluate and figure out where you're going to go from here. And um, I'm going to let you go, Nikita, because I know the baby's probably waiting on you and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And so I appreciate you so much again, dear, for coming on today. Yes, and just thank you for having me and providing this space because like I said, it is invaluable. It is necessary. It is needed. It is is a part of our healing. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for, for for having and creating this space because it really does mean the world, I know to me and a lot of others. Appreciate you, dear.